The words of Paul as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. morning, church. It is an honor for me to be able to be with you. I am Andy Baker. I get to serve as president of one of your ministries, and that's World Christian Broadcasting. And we had a great hour the hour before talking about the mighty God we serve. And I'm honored to be with you at this particular moment. Um, I'd like to place membership with this church today. I enjoy so very much coming every time I've really enjoyed coming. Could I place membership with you? Now, my church attendance is going to be poor. (laughs) But I love coming to the Mesa Church. I have one other church that I'm also a member of, and that's in Mesquite, Texas. And I placed membership there a few years ago. And I was back one year later. And when I got in the pulpit, I told that audience, I'm disappointed with every one of you. I placed membership a year ago, hadn't been back since, hadn't got one phone call. So I'm expecting a phone call from you if I don't get to come very often. Funny story, though, church secretary sitting on the second row that day when I said that, and she leaned forward and she said, you can leave your contribution with me while you're here. Well, we'll work through that, okay? When Jackie asked me to come and be with you today, I, I jumped at the opportunity He wants me to talk with you about what you and I need to be doing today to be teaching our neighbors and friends with what's going on in our society. It is a challenging time. We're living behind our mask, are we not? We're living through all kinds of circumstances to deal with. So I'm honored to share what I think is a great, great passage of Scripture with you. In fact, let's have a Bible check. Hold them up. No songbooks. Hold your Bibles up. If you've got those unspiritual iPads and iPhones, we will allow those today. I want everybody looking on one page of the text, and that's Acts chapter number 17. We'll spend our entire, our entire time right there. And I'm honored that we can spend this time together looking uh, at a real great section of God's Word. You've got neighbors and friends that are asking these very questions. Where is God in all this mess? If God is so powerful, He would not let what's going on, going on. I have friends who have taken trips to third world countries to do mission work. 
And they've looked when they've been there at the poverty and the desolation in those particular countries. And they come, they come back home and they say, if God is so great, why would he allow that? You've got a lot of folks asking a whole lot of different type questions about what's going on in our world. So how in the world do we talk to our neighbors and friends with everything going on right now? In Acts 17, I want to share with you for the next 10 minutes or so, this real truth. In Acts 17, the audience is much like our own communities. I think you'll see some similarities as, we do, as it's described in chapter 17. It's a lot like the communities in which you and I live. And in Acts chapter 17, we're going to realize some powerful things about how we can reach them as we sit at the feet of Luke as he writes this great passage. Look in your Bibles at chapter 17, beginning verse 16. And we find the Apostle Paul in the city of Athens. He's there because he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him there. Now, you can read that in the previous verses before you get to verse number 16. But Paul is in Athens, and he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him. When he goes to Athens, he's got a few days. We're not told how long he's got, but he becomes a tourist. What do you do when you go to a city and you become a tourist? What do you do? Well, when I go to a city, I I find the local McDonald's. I want to make sure I can eat, at least eat something while I'm there. I don't know what you do when you go to a city and become a tourist, but Paul becomes a tourist as as he visits the city of Athens. Read with me as, as we begin reading in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. I want you to realize and make very practical what that verse says. In Athens, it was a place where there were idols, history says, on every flat place. On every flat place throughout the city, there was an idol. In fact, historians say that in the city of Athens, there were 10,000 idols that the people in Athens worshipped. In Acts 17, you've got an audience much like the, one, the communities in which we live. Just like Athens was filled with idols, you and I live in cities where there's a lot of things being served and a lot of different things being worshipped. On this day, there'll be a lot of folks worshiping all kinds of things, just like in the city of Athens. Athens was a place known for idols. In verse number 17, but notice one more thing, and I'm reading from the King James Bible. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons. Have you ever read about that word in the book of Acts before? You may want to turn back a few pages just to remind yourself you've got the King James Bible for sure. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter and the apostles were there to preach the gospel for the first time, chapter 2 verse 5 says, In that city there were gathered together devout people from all places under the sun. Well, what is a devout person? A devout person is someone who is God-fearing. I think the New International you maybe uses that particular phrase. The word devout means truth seeker. I need your eyes right here to answer a question for me. If someone is a truth seeker and he finds out new truth, what's his choices? He can either change or he can quit being devout. When you learn new things, you've got one of two choices. You can change your thinking. Or you can quit being a a devout person. In the city of Athens, you got some folks who were idol worshipers, and you got some folks who were searching for God. 
Is there anybody in your cities around Phoenix searching for God? There's a lot of folks searching for God. There's a lot of folks confused about who God is. And especially with all this going on, there's a lot of folks that's got a lot of questions about what's going on. But in Athens, just like in our own communities, you've got all kinds of people following all kinds of likes and dislikes, and you've got some folks who are truth seekers. Look in verse 18 with me for a second. In verse 18, something else is said about that particular city. There were certain philosophers there. I'd like all the philosophers in the room to raise your hand. Thank you. Because a philosopher is somebody that thinks. Now let me re-ask my question. I'd like all philosophers to raise your hand. I hope we got a few more folks that that's what a philosopher is. But continue looking with me in this verse number 18. There were some philosophers there who were Epicureans. Now, an Epicurean guy who, is someone who says, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you might die. Live it up. Party every day. Hollywood would fit into the, this type of thinking, to the Epicurean philosophy. The Playboy philosophy would be the, this particular thinking of the Epicureans. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up because tomorrow you might die. Verse 18 also says there were some Stoics there. Would you please give me a, well, you, I, ask, I want to ask you to give me a stoic look, but you got your mouth's head. Right, let me ask you like this then. A stoic is someone who says, if you have any fun, it's a sin. Did anybody grow up having stoic parents? And you're still in council. That's what a stoic is. So look, look at the screen if you would. In Athens, you got a lot of idol worshipers. You got a lot of folks following all kinds of thinking. You've got some people who were truth seekers looking for what was right. And then you had some thinkers who were from, from all kinds of thinking, Epicurean down to the Stoics. I'm suggesting for your thinking, at least in Franklin, Tennessee, this describes our communities. I bet it describes this one as well. Acts 17. The audience there matches our communities. I want you to look at verse number 21. In verse 21 it says about this audience, For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. That's Facebook if you ever heard anything describe Facebook. In fact, whatever you believe, you can find evidence on Facebook. Whatever you want to believe, the evidence is there. Depending upon what you believe, you can find it at Facebook. There's a lot of folks who are just on Facebook. They are addicted to it and they don't realize it. People that are just looking for the latest idea. Well, that describes our community. I need some head nodding. Is that not right? What I want you to realize is that you and I are living in a time and at a place where there's a lot of similarities like the folks that lived in Athens. Now, what's my sermon about? Jackie asked me to talk about how we could teach our neighbors and friends at this particular time. What I want you to see up front is our communities are a lot like this particular uh, community. Look in verse 22. 17 verse 22 says there were a lot of folks in this city who were superstitious. They had a lot of superstitions that they went by. But then the next phrase is where I want us to notice. In verse 23 of the passage, look in chapter 17, verse 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. 
For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Let's stop right there before we read any further. Paul said to this audience of folks, I've noticed some things about you. You got a lot of thinkers from all over the board. You got a lot of folks just looking for the next idea. You got some folks who are real truth seekers. And you got some folks who worship an unknown God. You remember I told you there were 10,000 idols? They had a God to the moon. They had a God of the sun. They had a God of wind. They had a God of everything. And just in case they missed, on, missed out on recognizing one of the gods, they had a God that they referred to as the unknown God. Just in case. They didn't want to make any God mad. So if they left out one, they had this altar to the unknown God. Look at the screen. This is our audience. These are the folks that we live next door to. These are the ones we carpool with. These are the ones we share a locker with at school. These are the ones that we see when we're playing tennis on Tuesday morning or when you're walking on Thursday morning with a group. This is the audience. So how do you teach that audience about Jesus? I want you to picture this particular scene. It's not in the text. I got an idea. Paul stood by that altar and he put his arm around the altar to the unknown God and said, You've got this altar to the unknown God? That's the God I want to tell you about. And notice how he does it. He says about eight things that you've just heard read in your hearing a moment ago. I want you to notice what happens as he now stands beside this idol. In essence, puts his arm up around the idol. And he uses an idol to begin to introduce this audience to the true God. I need some head nodding. Does this make sense so far? You've got this audience, so how do you teach them? Paul stands beside an idol. He says, let me tell you about this unknown God. And then he does some powerful teaching. If you're a minister, if you are a Bible class teacher, you're going to look at a great outline to teach in a sermon or in your Bible class about the God of heaven. He says eight things about the God of heaven. We're not going to talk about all eight. We're going to mention two or three of them, though. Look with me in verse number eight. God that made the world and all things therein. He says eight things about the true God. Let me back up. I didn't mean to go there. In verse number, uh, verse number 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing He is Lord of heaven and earth. Let's stop right there. You did not, you're, you are not ooze that oozed up from the ooze. Amen. You were created by an almighty God. Yeah. You didn't, you were not ooze that oozed up from the ooze and after millions of years you became a human being. You were created by a wonderfully powerful God. Amen. Don't you let this time in which we live communicate to you that you are not important, that you are not special. You are a special creation of Almighty God. Nobody has your DNA. Nobody has your fingerprints. There's nobody like you in all of the world. Is that exciting or scary? There's nobody like you. You are unique. Nobody has your fingerprints. Nobody has your DNA. You are not oozed that oozed up from the ooze. You've got an almighty God that created you that knows your name. In fact, the Bible says your name is engraved on God's hand. 
Would you please react to that? God knows you personally. He knows you. Your name is on His hand. You are never forgotten about by Almighty God. We could go 30 minutes on that point that He made. You have a God God who created you. Let's go back to the passage. Look with me in verse number 24. He dwelleth not in temples made with hands. We've got to stop right there. If we haven't learned anything at all over the last six months, we should have learned that God does not live in this building. God doesn't live in a building. When you came through the double doors today, you did not all of a sudden get into the presence of God. You live in the presence of God. You don't go to church. You are church. And there's a big difference. I'd rather go to church. Because then you could do what? You could leave church. But if I am church, are you ready for this? You never get out of church. Oh, no. Our little ones are going, you never get out of church. You live in the presence of God. Guys, have you ever been in this lobby and you had a joke to tell? And you put one of your brothers to us and said, let me tell you a joke. And then you realize where you were. And you said, oh, I can't tell that joke because I'm in church. If you told that joke anywhere... If you are church, guess where you told it? You told it in church. Ladies, have you ever looked at your closet on Sunday morning and you pulled out a dress and you thought, oh, I can't wear that. I'm going to church. Well, if you wore that dress anywhere, guess where you wore it? You wore it in church. You are church. Let me say who's guilty. How many of you as parents would tell your children on Sunday morning to go get your church clothes on? Anybody guilty? Anybody guilty? Luke is a little buddy of mine back in Middle Tennessee, and it was Sunday morning, and his mom said, Luke, go get, you, go get your church clothes on. Luke is eight. Luke looks at him and says, No, Mom. Mr. Andy said, you don't, you don't go to church, you are church. He got my sermon that day, didn't he? You live in the very presence of God. Whatever you did yesterday, you were just as near God then as you are at this moment. I'm not minimizing the importance of assembly. We need assembly time. But I want you to realize you live in the very presence of God. The Bible says that God collects our tears in a bottle. God knows you. When nobody else knows your tears, God knows your tears. Whatever kept you awake last night, God knows. Is that good news or not? Appreciate your enthusiasm. Is that good news or not? It is. We live in the very presence of God. We were created by God. We live in His presence. Let's keep, let's keep looking at this wonderful God. Look in verse 25. Neither is worship with man's hands as though he needed anything. I love that story about the elephant and the mouse crossing the bridge and it just shook. And they get across and the mouse says, boy, we shook that, didn't we? And sometimes we're talking the same way about working for God. Me and God, no, it's God that works through us. I don't mean to take your self-esteem away, but if there's anything good about you, it's because of Jesus. If there's anything good about us, it's because of Jesus. Let me tell you what I believe. Can I have your eyes right here? I believe what this world needs is a good dose of Jesus. I believe what our cities need is a good, good dose of Jesus. I believe what the church needs is a good dose of Jesus. Let me tell you what Andy Baker needs. 
I need often just a good dose of Jesus. We live in His presence. We are created by an Almighty God. It's nothing like we can help God do anything. He works through us to accomplish His will. Let's keep reading. Look in verse 26. And hath made of one blood all nations of men. I wish we had an hour to talk about that phrase. What a powerful phrase that says about all of God's creation. We're all kin. We're all blood kin. We all go back to Adam. Every one of us, we're kinfolk. Sometimes kinfolk talk about kinfolk, and that's not good. But to add on to Adam's blood, we're bound also by the blood of Jesus. We're blood brothers and sisters. That says something very special. Wish we had 30 minutes to do, but do that when you get back home. And as you think about the God of heaven, what that could mean. Let's keep reading. And have determined the time before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Andy, what does that phrase mean about God? I need your attention right here. What God is after is a relationship with you. He's not after giving us a list of rules for us to check off. I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. What, what God wants with you is a relationship. He wants a walking, talking relationship. He wants to be on intimate terms with every one of us individually. It's not a check-off religion. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Before, your, before you married your husband, if he gave you a list of do's and don'ts and a checklist before you got married, would you have married him? Two Sundays ago, I preached this sermon, and a guy walked up to me and he said, I did. Most ladies, though, would not have married a guy like that. There's a lot of folks that serve God that way. I've done that. I've done that. I've not done that. I've done that. And it's a check-off religion. Paul says, let me, let, let me introduce you to this unknown God. And what did he say about him? You live in his presence. He is your creator. He works through you with all that we accomplish he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a walking, talking relationship with you. Well, Andy, how do you do that? You stick your head in the book. You stick your head in the book. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't put, don't, don't put the brethren, don't, don't put your head in the, with the brethren because they'll think anything. Sometimes on our travel, people will say, what does the church of Christ believe about this topic? You know what my answer is? Almost everything. It depends on who you ask and when you ask them. That's why it's safer to put your head where? I didn't hear you. Put the head where? In the book. And put your eyes on Jesus. Don't put your eyes with others. Don't put your eyes on others for this reason. I've known Jackie Hinkle for a number of years. We grew up probably 45 miles apart. I'm not sure I'll, I'll ever have his faith. And I'm not trying to be funny or silly. I'm not sure I'll ever have his faith. And I might get discouraged in my walk with God because I can't ever measure up to that faith. But I've noticed with some of you, my faith looks pretty good. And I might get cocky. That's why you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. We all need a dose of Jesus. So where's your head? In the book. Where's your eyes? Focused on Jesus. Where's your knee? On the floor in prayer often. Head's in the book. 
Eyes on Jesus. Knees on the floor in prayer often. Where's your hands? Doing the work that Jesus would do if He was here. What if Jesus lived in your skin? How would He spend His day? Then go do it. Then go do that. Busy your hands doing the work that Jesus would do. There's a lot of folks that's got too much time on their hands. True or false? And if they would use their hands doing the work that Jesus would do, we'd have a lot fewer problems. So put your head where? In the book. Where's your eyes? On Jesus. Where's your hands? Doing the work that Jesus would do if He was here. Where's your knees? Been on the floor in prayer. And your feet? Keep your feet with the brothers and sisters. Don't fuss. Don't split. Don't divide. Stay with the brothers and sisters. Sometimes when I travel in California, I'll meet people that will say, Oh my, it must be great living in the Nashville, Tennessee area with all those churches of Christ. You know what my answer is? No, it's not. Because somebody has a fuss, and they don't stay and work it out and grow from it. They know they they can go to another church two blocks down the road. And they miss out on opportunity to work through it and grow and become a stronger family. Keep your feet with the brothers and sisters. It's so easy to get bent out of shape with your brothers and sisters. Don't let that happen. The devil loves it. So put your head where? In the book. Where's your eyes? On Jesus. Where's your hands? Doing the work He would do if He was here. Where's your knees? On the floor in prayer. And your feet? With the brothers and sisters. We need one another. We need one another. And God wants to have that walking, talking relationship. How could you and I have a relationship? Well, you'd spend time with, you'd spend time with my wife. You'd spend time with my children. And I'd rather have what my grandchildren say about me. You would spend time with people that know me. Uh, we would spend time talking. That's how we develop that relationship with God. Stick your head in the book. Get your eyes on Jesus. Your hands are busy doing the work Jesus would do if He was here. Your knees on the floor in prayer. And then your feet with the brothers and sisters. We're about to close the lesson, but here's the most important point I want you to get. We've talked about Paul using this as an opportunity to teach folks. He said these eight things about God. Now take a deep breath because I'm about to share something with you maybe you've never thought about. What's Paul's proof about what he's just taught about Almighty God. Paul quotes their poets. Look in verse number 28. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. Why didn't he quote the Old Testament like Peter did on the day of Pentecost? On the day of Pentecost, the old law, that's what they were used to. So Paul uses that old law to introduce people to Jesus. You see, the old law says, the old law was to introduce us to Jesus. And if you read the Old Testament and you don't see Jesus, you didn't read it right. Because the old law is to introduce us to Jesus. The old law says what about Jesus? He's coming. What does the new law say about Jesus? He has come and He's coming again. So if you didn't see Jesus when you read the Old Testament, you didn't read it right. Go back and read it again. Because it's to introduce us to Jesus. Why didn't he quote the Old Testament? This audience was not familiar with the Old Testament. So what does he quote? He quotes their own poets. He uses the poets as proof. He uses their poets as proof about who this God was. 
So look at the results. Look in verse 32. Some mocked. And you will have some neighbors and friends that when you begin a discussion about God, they're going to mock you. Especially those of you who come to church on Sunday night. Didn't you get enough on Sunday morning? And if you really go, if you go on Wednesday night, they're really going to think you're crazy. There are some folks that will mock your faith. There were some, if you look also at verse 32, that said, I want to know more. And you'll have neighbors and friends that will want to know more. Give me your eyes right here. So don't get in a hurry. Let God be the one that moves their hearts. Be patient. Let God move their hearts. Don't get in a hurry. There'll be some folks that will say, I want to know more. And then there'll be some that will become believers. And that's what we're hoping will really happen. So here's your take-homes. Here's your take-homes from our lesson. When teaching neighbors, start start where they are. You may not like where they are. You might not like the books they're reading. You might not agree with all the things that's in those books that they're reading. But that's where they are. So where do you start where your neighbors are? It may start with a cup of coffee. It may start with a glass of iced tea. It might be with some community something that you both agree on. You become friends. You begin to trust one another. Start where they are. In this instance... He started with their poets. I need some head nodding. Does that make sense? He used their poets to teach them about God. Start where they are. And don't be discouraged if not everybody is interested. And to those that want to know more, here's the closing two slides. I want you to get this slide. To those who want to know more, the tomb is still empty. Is anybody glad? Tomb's empty. Tomb is still empty. And God's still sitting on His throne. His will is being done. And one day, He's going to come take us home, isn't He? Look at these three points. Get your your cameras out of your iPhones. Take a picture of that. You need to remember that. Tomb's empty. Are there problems? Absolutely. Are you concerned about the election? Me too. I'm, I'm concerned about whichever way it goes. I'm concerned about our country. I believe what our country needs is a good dose of Jesus. And what does our country need to hear? The tomb is still empty. Is anybody glad? I can tell you're glad from how you led us a few minutes ago. Tomb's empty. And God's on His throne. And one day He's going to come back and take us home. So let's hang in there. Let's hang in there and talk to our neighbors and friends where they are and tell them about our Lord and Savior Jesus. And here's how we'll close. Every now and then, we need to be reminded of the power of God. We need to be reminded of the presence of God. And we need to be reminded of the promises of God. And I hope with the songs we've sung, prayers we've prayed, Scripture we've read, communing together around the Lord's table, that these three things have been emphasized in your walk with God. I want to remind you today of the power of God, the presence of God, and the promises of God. May God bless us to go out and represent Him in our world. Now, worship is about over. Let's go be church. You didn't come to church. Let's go be church. And may those we come in contact with see Jesus living in us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. That if we'll just read it, it's so powerful. 
And it gives us information of how to talk to our neighbors and friends about Jesus. I want to pray for those neighbors and friends right now that's on the minds of everybody in this room. And I pray you will help us as we have opportunity, maybe one day, to talk to them about Jesus. May they see the joy that's in our hearts and the excitement that's in our voices because of your presence in our life. And we're thankful that we can have a walking, talking relationship with you. And dear God, if we need to come back to you today, help us to make that decision and that choice. And if there are those that's here in this audience or listening over the online, need to come to Jesus and be baptized, we pray that we will do that very thing soon as we endeavor to please you and follow you. Thank you, dear Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for him being our elder brother and our Savior. And may all that we do exalt your powerful and holy name. And it's through Jesus that I pray. Amen. As we sing this song, if we can help in any way, your shepherds would love to pray with you today and be with you and assist in any way possible. Or any of those watching online, let your needs be, be known to these good folks. And they'll make a difference as they walk with God His way. Would you stand together? Let's worship in song.